Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Uh, one of my favorite people to talk to uh, about national security issues, which should be all of our business, is Major General Jeffrey Schlozer. Uh, phenomenal uh, insight he brings to every segment. Uh, Army General uh, retired. And uh, we always love to have you on the program. We have a lot to talk about. I mean, I sat there uh, this morning with a list of what we could talk about. I narrowed it down to a couple, but I had a half a dozen to begin because, let's face it, uh, General, the world's a dangerous place. But uh, before we get into how dangerous it is in our topic in particular, that I think has a couple of interesting angles to it, uh, remind us of the work you've done uh, that you continue to do and your phenomenal book on leadership as well as information on how people can get more information about all you do. Yeah, well, thanks an awful lot, Kevin, for having me back on the show. Yeah, so I'm the Executive Vice President of Bell, and, uh, you know, we uh, support our military in a variety of different ways with helicopters and uh, B-22 tilt rotors. We're very excited about the things that we do to support America, and uh, and we indeed live in interesting times, as you uh, indicated. Uh, The book you talked about is called Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan, written while I was a Major General, the 101st, uh, Commanding General of 101st Airborne Division in combat in Afghanistan, 2008 and 2009, leading 30,000 soldiers. But more importantly, it's about leadership in chaos and in difficult times. Uh, You know, uh, I still use it. I refer back to it as I talk to uh, my business leaders here at uh, Bell. But uh, thanks for allowing me to plug the book. It's uh, You can read more about it at uh, jeffschlosser.com, J-E-F-F-S-C-H-L-O-E-S-S-E-R.com. And yeah, absolutely. Indeed, so, interesting times, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot going on. I, I kind of you know want to start with what is going on with the NATO summit. Uh, apparently a lot of uh, things happen behind closed doors. Uh, the media is interpreting like they don't know what happened that made – um, the Turkey changed its mind in terms of letting Sweden join. Uh, but the reality is, is that it already became increasingly clear that they were going to get uh, access to fighter jets that they long wanted and couldn't get that access. And, and if nothing else, fear of uh, that deal collapsing for not supporting Sweden coming into NATO. And just not to go into any detail, there's long-term conflict and t- uh, tension uh, between Sweden and uh Turkey, uh, particularly Turkey's acceptance, or rather Sweden's acceptance of a population that uh, uh, Turkey finds terrorists. And it's interesting when you look at terrorists. I mean, at, at Turkey, they think a lot of groups are terroristic. You talk to them about the Kurds sometimes. <laughs> I mean, they got, they got a pretty acrimonious uh, approach to the world they live in, in my opinion. Uh, but anyway, not to get into a whole lot of depth. It's pretty clear to me, uh, General, that the bills were clearly made to make it possible for uh, Sweden to happen. And uh, frankly, I think they probably made sense on a pragmatic basis. Yeah, no, I think for, you know, not only for NATO, but also for U.S. interests and our business interest, in, but clearly national security interests, it was uh, important for us to add Sweden. Uh, we now... Uh, once Sweden actually formally uh, uh, does join, uh, you'll have, you know, all the Baltic states, you know, Norway, longtime member, now Finland uh, just recently, and then Sweden. So you're covering a thousand-mile border with uh, the Russians and also key portions of uh, uh, the sea up there. So very, very important for us, I think, from a security reason. This is one of those after effects of making bad decisions on the part of Putin. I mean, you know, uh, 
going into the Ukraine, what he's actually done is he, he didn't weaken uh, NATO. He actually strengthened NATO and made opposition along uh, the western border of Russia absolutely uh, much more uh, challenging for him uh, in any kind of competition or war, broadly speaking. The deal with Sweden, I think, as you've indicated, you know, on the face of it, Turkey and Erdogan, President Erdogan was saying what he needed to do was make sure Sweden didn't uh, sponsor the PKK, which is actually a terrorist group. Even the United States says it is a Kurdish separatist uh, terrorist group that operates inside Turkey. But what he also wanted, and this was quiet behind the scenes, is he wanted access to new uh, aircraft, um, modern technology, F-16s, uh, modern F-16s, not uh, you know uh, 10 or 15 or 20 year old uh, F-16s. Apparently, that's what he got from the Biden administration. And that's what uh, allowed this deal to go through. 32 members soon. When Sweden joins, it'll be uh, uh, 32 members in, in NATO. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, the NATO ought to hire Putin to be in charge of uh, recruitment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, did, he did nothing to weaken it. And anything, he, if anything, he, he articulated in the most powerful and blunt terms the importance of being a member of it. And, uh, and, and this raises, raises a whole other interesting dynamic. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, um, dog and pony show in a way that Ukraine is doing, the president is doing there at the summit. You had uh, the UK prime minister, prime minister say, you belong here, you belong, meaning, you know, being interpreted as, uh, Ukraine should be in NATO. And there's a lot of people that are advocating that fast track. And uh, Biden is like, let's get this war over with first, um, which I think is an interesting tack. I think you can make a pretty strong argument. If, you, if they were accepted immediately, this war would end pretty quick. Well, I think, you know, here's, I think, and, I, and I'm not a, you know, apologist to uh, any administration, but let me just uh, you know, talk about it in national security terms. Article 5 of uh, our NATO uh, uh, agreement are, uh, would require that all nations, that those 31 plus the one coming in Sweden, would have to come to the defense of Ukraine if Ukraine became a current full-time member of NATO. Uh, which would widen the war more likely than than uh, anything else. Yes, would it come to a culmination probably quicker? Yes, it might, but it could also draw Russia to do some really crazy stuff. I mean, you know, I, I still regard Putin as a rational actor from his own viewpoint, but uh, the amount of time that his spokesmen and even he talk about nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons, it, it still causes me pause, right? So, that's, I think, behind what what this administration in the United States said. Basically, it's too early to uh, actually bring Ukraine in because it might invoke Article 5 in a broader, larger war. Uh, and, I, you know, and I have to say that makes sense to me, Kevin. I mean, I, I do understand that. I do believe Ukraine will become a full-fledged member once uh, there is some sort of, you know, uh, ceased uh, hostilities or even a quiet, um, you know, uh, Armistice made. Uh, I think Ukraine. You'll see Ukraine as part of NATO. No, yeah. I mean, I think so, absolutely. Um, and yes, I, I was very familiar with Article Five and totally understand the misgiving. That is the only reason why you wouldn't do it because I don't think I think uh, membership would instantly trigger Article Five if it's going to have any value or any importance. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I understand why. 
Uh, and you know, and as far as him being a rational player in his mind, gotta be honest with you, General. I've never met a crazy person who thought he wasn't crazy. I didn't thought he was sane. You know what yeah, I'm saying? No, I, so I, I, I think he, he does think he's rational, but is yeah. he rational? So I have the same worries you have, and I think he could potentially go uh, tactical uh, nuclear uh, if things really went in that direction. I think that's definitely yeah. a possibility, and I'm not advocating anything. I'm just talking about what other uh, really high level, I think, uh, respected people in the foreign policy space uh, are saying about uh, fast tracking Ukraine. Well, I think what you're going to see, you know, I think the fast track is, you know, they basically have allowed Ukraine to have the same kinds of uh, fast track that Finland and Sweden had, but without being brought in at this point in time. Uh, I think probably more interesting over the next several months is going to be to watch all of these countries that are part of NATO, including the UK, but now also the United States, in actually trying to accelerate um, their support to Ukraine. I know it seems amazing after, you know, we've given some $40 billion uh, in excess, uh, you know, equipment and ammunition and things like that. But uh, with the latest decisions that you're seeing, you know, allowing F-16 to be F-16s to be uh, entered into the Ukrainian Air Force over a period of time, the training of their pilots, cluster munitions on the part of the United States. And there's a whole story there. I mean, you know, about that. And I wouldn't be surprised if ATACMs, uh, these are large, larger missiles than uh, currently being used, more capable missiles that are currently being uh, being used. I wouldn't be surprised to see ATACMs also being authorized. I think what you're seeing is, uh, uh, you know, NATO is a little bit disappointed that the Ukraine hasn't been able to accomplish more uh, in its counteroffensive against the Russians. Uh, most people that have any national security background realize that what they're trying to do is the hardest thing possible. In other words, it's attacking into a defensive zone that's been prepared for months uh, in uh, minefields and anti-tank uh, obstacles, air defense, things like that. But I think there's a little bit of a disappointment. I think you're going to see additional support, and it'll be fascinating to see how that actually impacts national security, broadly speaking, uh, as it goes forward and what Russia does in reaction to it. Yeah, my big concern uh, remains, something you and I have talked about before, that Ukraine gets enough support to keep fighting but not enough support to win. And I, 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 I see that. Now, we've seen actions. You, you mentioned several of them. Uh, I didn't think we were going to see uh, modern American jets uh, being sent, uh, period. You know, the trouble that they had trying to get, get them uh, for over a year. Um, and then you got, of course, the cluster bombs, which – I think it's something the United States just wanted to get rid of. <laughs> and I think they have short <laughs> supply. They've even said that. They have short supply of the other bombs they actually want to send. Uh, but uh, I just wonder. I, I, there's a part of me that, you know, this is a pure proxy war. And, and the history of proxy wars is that they're hard to be won by the people that aren't the player but the supplier. Because if they become more than a supplier, uh, much more than a supplier, they actually become a player. And the United States doesn't want to do that. And uh, no. I uh, I don't know. I just worry about the resolve. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think politically what we have to see in our country is, is a continued resolve. It would be uh, not only, it would be terrible for our national security stance, I think it would also be really bad for our business uh, interests as well, broadly speaking, globally, 
because uh, we still do try to we basically enforce a lot of uh, you know global trade basically uh, just through our own positioning throughout the world. But I think it would be terrible if politically we decide in 2024 to um, end our support of Ukraine, and then therefore Ukraine ends up having to uh, either accede to you know the invasion that it's occurred, uh, or even worse, to lose more uh, of its country. So I think that's something that we all have to be, pay attention to as we listen to our, our uh, not elected officials as they're running for positions of uh, you know uh, influence and power uh, in the 24 election. Yes, yes. All right. I, I, it was, uh, you know, we. I mentioned I had another topic that, that was really torn, and obviously it ties into this, which is the Wagner uh, Group a coup attempt, essentially. Um, they call it a mutiny, but, you know, I think if they could go further, they would have. It's being described as a failure, um, but, you know, it, in, in the same way that someone would say, yeah, that guy did, beat the other guy's uh, fist with his face. Um, it never got carried through, and I, I think he had. I think the, uh, the Wagner Group had a specific objective. That objective was met, and uh, they, they make it almost look like uh, Putin was a victor on this. There's a lot of pie on on uh, Putin's face, and the whole thing is ridiculous. And of course, I do expect serious retaliation over time as time. Uh, as the story itself quiets down, you're, you're going to see a lot of these people involved in that uh, effort are going to uh, be injured or dead. But to me, it looks like it looks like uh, the, the uh, Russian leadership, particularly Putin, is a complete mess. Yeah. So I mean, you know, for all of our listeners, you know, basically, you know, around the end of June, 23rd June or so. You know, uh, uh, you've been the uh, Prigozhin, the head of Wagner Group, and this group has been supporting Russian interests uh, through basically uh, supplying fighters in uh, Syria, Mali, Libya, uh, the list goes on and on in Africa. Um, it's a quasi, you know, uh, while there, there is no direct links to Russia, it's been basically operating Russian interests uh, around Africa and the rest of the world for some time and, and then was brought in to fight uh, because they're better fighters. Um, uh, than the Russian military that was brought in to fight against the Ukraine. Uh, they also basically took people out of the Russian prisons to add to the Wagner group. So, um, you know, all along the head of it, uh, Prigozhin, basically, of any Prigozhin has had this beef with uh, the two senior generals or two senior um, military officers in Russia, basically the, uh, the Minister of Defense, um, Shoigu, as well as uh, General Gerasimov. Anyway, the whole thing was potentially trying to pressure them, either to get rid of them, get Putin to fire them. Um, but eventually, I think, uh, I think Prigozhin basically lost uh, his mind for a few minutes and decided to head towards Moscow in what looked like a larger mutiny. Uh, you know, essentially, this was called off. There was a, basically a, uh, you know agreement made where he would be banned off to Belarus. Now, that didn't last very long. Reports are that he's been in Russia and, in fact, actually met with Putin. The whole thing, though, makes Putin look like uh, he's weak. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the way Putin operates is I would be, wouldn't be surprised to see Prigozhin, you know, mysteriously fall off a hotel balcony, fall into a river, have a little uranium installed inside his body, which, you know, is very challenging or some other you know, unique method of trying to assassinate him over a period of time. I would think a lot of his military leaders are going to be in a very similar boat. Um, but it shows Putin is not the strong man inside Russia 
that we'd all thought he was. Yeah, he's more of a legend in his own mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I, uh, in, I frequently inter- interview um, Adrian Kubecki, Consul General from Poland uh, in New York. He's a regular on the show as well. And uh, he said his report showed that uh, the Russian army did nothing to really prevent uh, Wagner Group uh, uh, forces movement. They were almost yeah. like, oh, yeah, come on in. You know, it's, uh, I can't even, the first city they hit uh, slips my mind, but they, they gave no resistance and uh, really indicating that uh, that the Russian army is a complete mess, just like the leadership. Yeah, there's going to be several senior leaders there in the army and the air force that I think are going to find themselves in the same boat as, uh, you know, uh, as others have been in the past. In other words, either banned or assassinated. Um, or gotten rid of because of either apparent support or lack of defense against this kind of a mutiny. Uh, we'll see what happens. More likely than not, there will be a purge. It will probably take place, just as you indicated, Kevin. They'll take a little bit of time, and then they'll do the, everything they can uh, to – it'll be kind of quiet, but then there'll be – the methods will always be ones where they get national press. I mean, uh, you could start writing a bunch of John Le Care books based upon how Putin decides to get rid of his uh, people that uh, he does no longer support or no longer wants to see. But you're absolutely right. The army did very, very little to sue, uh, to stop this from happening. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. It really is. Uh, and terrifying. Because <laughs> you got to remind yourself, they do have a huge nuclear arsenal. you got to keep remembering that. And so uh, what does a desperate man do in situations like that? Uh, I don't want to know. So, uh, General, always love having you on the program. Retired General Jeffrey Schlozer, he is a regular on the price of business. I'm always a little smarter uh, after you've been on than I was before. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for allowing me to uh, talk to you. I'm Kevin Price, and this is The Price of Business.